Hey, this is Brenna Blaine, and you're listening to Can I Say That? Hey guys, this week on the show, there is a lot of sexual tension in the room because... Why are you looking at me like that? What? It would help if you laughed. Anyways, if you haven't caught on by now, our guest this week just happens to be our co-host, Austin Blaine, who is also my roommate, coincidentally. Your husband. My husband. Yes. And it's your job today to... Explain to us the differences between biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Super easy, obviously. There isn't any. There is no differences. Oh, okay. That's why. (laughs) Show over. (laughs) And we're done. Now we're going to go put on my crotch. Never mind. Um, I was going to say something about, like, clothing being, you know, not gender exclusive. Maybe I shouldn't say that either. But before we jump into that, there... So Nike came out with a shoe earlier this week, maybe. maybe That's it was not breaking friendly. news. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> Nike came out with a shoe... That's like the Air Max. Have you seen those before? They're the ones with like the little plasticky cushion. Oh, okay. Part. Yeah, yeah. Sure. But they filled it with water from the Jordan River. Is it like the... And it has a crucifix on it. Is it like the Lecrae Air Maxes or something? I forget what it's called, but it's something about like walking on water. I don't know. I read the relevant. It's going to crucifix your game. It is. They sold for like $1,400, but you can't get them for $1,400. You can bid on them starting at $3,000. I think this is when Jesus comes in and flips the tables. I think this is when you spend less than $1,000 to fly to the area, get some water, and inject it into your normal... Into your normal shoes? Into your normal or maybe or just. I think that there's like this... I'm going to get in trouble for saying this. I think it's really cool to go to Israel. I think it's like one uh, a Christian Mecca. We have made it a Christian Mecca. And here's the thing. I hate cats, so I will be caught dead in israel there's cats everywhere they're disgusting why i don't know there's well if there's cats everywhere there's not mice everywhere sure but i want to know what what are your opinions on this like israel craze for christians there's like i don't think there's anything special about it in the sense of like like israel's not going to change your life jesus will change your life and it's cool to see the places jesus and the apostles were Hmm. but uh and I would like to do that, but it's not like... I'm not going with you. Oh. Just kidding. <laughs> well, and I also feel like there's this weird trend of people who are like, I am a Christian, and I'm going to Israel. And then they get there, and they're like, the Jordan River, I need to be re-baptized starting now, today, in the Jordan River, because... And then, for whatever reason... Also, every summer camp ever... I'm re rededicating my life to god because the first time i meant it but i sinned in between that's when when the is it once saved always saved or is it sure 
four times dunked, God's debunked. No, <laughs> that's not right. But you know what I mean? And there's just like interesting things. And I'm like, why, why are you doing that? That I think from the outside looks confusing. I think the heart's usually in the right place. But yes, of the individual. But I guarantee you, if an individual, the individuals who are rebaptized in the Jordan River, if they were in some other part on earth walking by, let's say, a pool or an ocean sure. or a lake or a river, I guarantee you they wouldn't have that, oh, wait, I should be rebaptized because there's a body of water right here. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. It's, it's yeah. It's, uh. It's like being taught basketball by Michael Jordan. It's like. Yeah, that person. I, sure. Yeah. If you like old men who sell heat patches. Isn't that Shaquille O'Neal? Shaq? <laughs> okay, I want to get into the questions because I'm excited to learn how different we are. But before we jump into the conversation, I do want to say we had a lot of, um, we had the write in your own questions. We had a lot of people saying, well, what about intersex people or what about transgender people or people who don't identify with, let's say, traditional gender roles. This conversation, we are focusing on the specific genders that the Bible speaks to. That being said, we are hoping to have further conversations about non-cisgendered people and how they relate to God. And so this isn't us saying we don't believe in that, but this is simply us saying, well, let's start with what you and I know because you and I are both cisgendered people. And then later on, we're gonna have people who have a better understanding of what it means to be transgender or non-binary come and speak about their relationship with God. So first question is, are men and women actually different besides biology? Yeah. So I think actually before we get into that and the rest of the questions, I kind of have some sort of prerequisite thoughts that might be good to start with that will help you and the listener understand really where I'm coming from and sort of some, some foundation of really how I approach this. Mm. So I think, well, first off, as Christians, we really shouldn't be afraid of the truth because Jesus says he is the truth. He says, mm. I am the way, the truth, the life. I should never shy away of something because I'm afraid of what the answer is, mm. which means I also need to recognize that the truth that I don't know everything, um, that I am still learning, that God is not done with me, and that I'm confident that up, even up to the day that I die, that the Lord will still be teaching me things and growing me. Um, and so I don't say anything in this uh, conversation as though I am the arbiter of truth that I know everything and that I've figured it out and let me inform you my ideas of this may very well shift slightly or a lot um, depending on revelation that the Lord gives me more research and just more time spent on this topic not that I haven't spent any I've spent a good amount of time but we need to be very very careful that we do not uh, make our experience synonymous with biblical truth mm. so some some of us uh, may have grown up in a conservative christian white nuclear home maybe with parents that love jesus you went grow up going to church every sunday but need to be very careful that we don't then look at everything in our life growing up and say oh all of that is biblical 
all of that is mm-hmm. what a Christian life is supposed to look like, what relationships are supposed to look like, you know, all of that. Or otherwise that we don't look at in the Bible to indirectly affirm our own experience. So maybe you're like, well, I grew up and my dad worked and my mom stayed home, cooked and cleaned. And the Bible has passages about wives submitting to their husbands. And so, you know, it looks like my parents' relationship was biblical and matches that. So any other relationship mm. is unbiblical and they're missing the point. Or maybe it's like, well, my mom, uh, she didn't work. She stayed home and homeschooled me. And so moms who don't do that, they aren't really raising their children well. Well, And they're they're not being really good mothers or caring mothers. Mm. Or We actually see that there's almost a parallel in, in worship. That historically uh, missionaries, say like white European missionaries, would go to Africa and they would plant a church and they would share Jesus with people. And then they'd be like, okay, well, how do we worship? Well, we we have these choral songs with four-part harmony in English. So we'll teach them these songs that we know in English mm. and th- this is what they'll sing. Um, and you can go to churches and certain churches in uh, certain places in Africa and they'll be singing these old hundred-year-old songs in English. And it's like, they kind of went, well, this is our experience, so this is what worship mm. needs to look like for you, rather than saying, well, this is what worship looks like for us. What can worship look like for you that mm. is biblical and truth-filled? I mean, I guess another way of putting it is like, our upbringing does not equal biblical truth. Yeah. It can, but it doesn't necessarily. Um, and so, like I, for example, grew up in a super loving, uh, but secular kind of, agnostic somewhere in their mm-hmm. home like i had a children's bible but that was the only bible and i don't think it was used for anything other than like reading me bedtime stories maybe once or twice i don't even have any memories of it actually mm. being read so i need to be super careful i didn't become christian until i was 18 out of high school so i need to be very careful when i'm approaching scripture that i'm not looking at it through my lens as truth and going, oh, that's dumb mm. or the, oh, that's outdated because I don't understand it or have a context. I had a really good home life. I happened to, I didn't know how blessed I was about that until now that I'm older. Like mm. I've never in my entire life ever heard my dad raise his voice to my mom or the other way around. I've never heard them say anything disrespectful about each other behind their backs. But that doesn't also mean that I go, well, that means my parents' relationships because relationship because it was good is exactly a biblical relationship i need to copy that mm. for one. Um, and so i need to be really sh- sure you as a listener you brennan need to be really sure that when i'm reading scripture i'm not having a confirmation bias of my experience or my beliefs and that i need to have an open heart and be willing to be wrong because i know that i am all the time the lord convicts me about certain ways i do things or ways i think that like I didn't even, maybe I didn't even question it. It's like, oh yeah, that's how it goes. And then the Lord drops a knowledge bomb and mm. my relationship with Jesus goes stronger mm. because I, I'm learning a new thing about God. Or perhaps the best way to put this would be that we shouldn't want the word of God to look like us. We should want to look like the word of God. And the Bible says the word of God, Jesus. Jesus is the word become flesh. Mm. Test everything. If you hear anything that challenges you that I say, match that to scripture does it line up if it doesn't throw it away if it does hopefully keep it but your question was are men and women different other than biologically being biologically different is actually pretty big deal it's almost i feel like sometimes we we kind of go over that it's like well we're the same right other than biologically uh maybe it's 
stated or inquired that way. Like, we wouldn't say, like, well, you know, other than biologically, rats and humans are the same, right? Like, we both have relationships, and we have problem-solving, and we need food and sleep. <laughs> well, well, being biologically different is a pretty big deal. Uh, it affects our, like, natural capabilities. It affects our, our default brain chemistry. Like, I'm just talking about men and women here. I remember in middle school hearing about a study and so I had to actually look it up recently because I was like was this just one of those weird like one person does a study and they want a result so they say it um, but I found other studies as well so like vaccinations so, uh, okay uh, but it was done actually last year uh, beginning last year and probably the year before that shows that women's brains are more active than men's brains what uh, yeah I'm shocked uh, sorry <laughs> Actually, the original study I heard it said something like almost uh, two-thirds more active. That, than it. That, that's not surprising. In a woman's brain, there's more blood flow to the limbic areas of the brain, um, which could explain why women tend, seem to be more prone to anxiety and depression. That's mm. the part of the brain that deals with that. Um, there's a more rapid blood flow in the prefrontal cortex, uh, which could explain why women tend to be more empathetic and intuitive because that part of the brain... Um, that deals with empathy. Mm. There is just the bodily capabilities, like women can gestate and grow a human in them. Like, that's a pretty big difference. I can't do that. I cannot grow a human. It's mm. pretty amazing. And probably more importantly that God didn't accidentally make a difference between men and women mm. biologically. Like I used to, when I first became a Christian, had that lens I was talking about. I would read Genesis and it's like, you know, goes through creation, creates man, and Adam names the animals and all that stuff. And I used to read it like it was like, and then Adam was kind of bummed, and God was like, well, crap, what do I do now? <laughs> well, I guess I'll make a woman. Like, it's sort of like God's, oh, no, I don't know what to do. I'm scrambling. Uh, I'll make a guy that's a little different. Um, but that's not really, like, that was a part of the plan. Mm. And that there's probably really this beautiful reality where God is more likely showing Adam, like, hey, look at all these things that aren't as good as women. Uh, well, that's interesting to me. Like, it's interesting that he he makes part of his reflection mm-hmm. and then later makes the rest of his reflection. Yeah, that is human. actually. And so really these these differences biologically, they dictate a lot about like our default strengths and weaknesses um so even within me being a man there being another man say this other man has crippling chronic depression and anxiety and like yeah we're the same we're still men we're still humans created in the image of god mm-hmm. but i wouldn't be like you know we're like the exact same person right other than this crippling depression and anxiety yes but that's also a huge difference between mm-hmm. how our day-to-day looks and Mm -hmm. how our thought process would look um how we would how i let's just say i've never dealt with any sort of depression or any sort of mental illness of any kind how i would relate to god would be very different than how this other guy related to Mm -hmm. god and so this biological difference i would say is on purpose by god and affects how we uh each man and woman encounter life and encounter Mm -hmm. god and i would say um, and as you even said, we're both distinct, unique image bearers of God. Like, I am not 
a reflection of God, but man and woman is. Mm. So, I mean, when the you ask the question, are men and women different mm. other than biologically? I mean, I would say the biological difference differences by default make us different to some degree in how we do most things in life. Mm. Uh, for example, I'm in, I work in tech, and there is a huge disparity of for every woman who has a job, it's like there's 40 men that have Jeez. a job in it. It's like, well, if men and women are, they're basically the same. It's like, well, then actually I shouldn't care that there's a disparity because if you have a man or you have a woman, doesn't make a difference. Mm. Um, but I would say the biological difference in, in the base kind of of men and women mm-hmm. gives women a unique and uh, distinct perspective mm. from mine or another man and that has great value and that shouldn't be overlooked. And by missing, for example, women in the tech world, I think we're missing a lot of technologies that aren't being created, um, solutions that aren't being thought of because there's that, Hmm. there's a difference. So 45% of our online voters, and if you're like, what the heck? We do polls uh, uh, every other week yes. on Instagram about our future episodes. So if you're yeah. like, I want to get on this. So 45% of our viewers said that they do believe the Bible teaches that men should be the primary provider for the family. So does the Bible teach that men need to be the primary provider? Sure. Well, uh, so it kind of begs the question, what does primary provider mean? Does that mean... They make more money than the woman. Um, if that's the case, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. There's nowhere in scripture that says, "And the man shall make more money than the woman." Thus says the Lord. Like that's not that's not a thing. If it means that the man is chiefly concerned with the financial income of the household, I don't also really see that. Um, it can be the case. There's nothing wrong with a man making more money than or all the money for mm-hmm. the household or the man being most concerned with that, the money coming into the household. I don't see that in scripture. It's funny because, so I, was, I think of Proverbs 31, mm-hmm. a woman of God, uh, but how we always, it's always aggravates me when people quote it because it's like they quote the two. They quote the worst <laughs> yeah, parts. They do. It's like, what? Other than the first uh nine verses that really have nothing to do with Mm -hmm. they're just it's almost like it's the carryover of proverbs 30 yeah but verse 10 to the rest of it is is like the woman of god Mm -hmm. it's not what the title is but that's what we we call it and in uh verse 15 talking about this woman uh it says she provides food for her family and that's not like she cooks food for the family like she provides the food Mm -hmm. for the family it's in verse 17 it says that she works vigorously and in next verse, verse 18, it says, she sees that her trading is profitable. Um, and you, you get this image. It's not like even a fleeting verse. It's like three verses back to back where they're talking about describing how this woman is like, she's a, she's a boss. She's a business uh, woman. She has her own business. She's buying and trading land, it talks about. She is a hard worker. It says her... Uh, uh, verse 18, the second half, it says her lamp does not go out at night. Like she's putting in, she's burning that midnight oil, as we say. Like she is, she's making money for mm. her household and she is then using that money. It says in verse 16, she considers a field and buys it out of her earnings. She plants a vineyard. So it's like 
She's not like, oh, husband, can I have a few dollars to like, I don't know, buy this thing. She's like, she's making money. She's using that money to make more money and to buy things. She's trading stocks. She's down <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> bye, bye, bye. Sell, sell, sell. Uh, yes. And so it's interesting that we so often think about in our like Western world, our like post-World War II nuclear family mm. type of thing. The man makes the money and the woman stays at home and takes care of the kids or is a trophy wife or whatever. But that... Like me. <laughs> no. Uh, but the biblical... You see in Proverbs, talking about this, a woman is like, she's making money and mm. she's using that money to make more money and she's using that to provide for her family. I see that more than I see the opposite. Uh, when it talks about men like being a provide, provider for the family... It mostly talks about uh, men being in charge of the spiritual well-being of their family. Mm. I mean, really, the ultimate model of a biblical man would be Jesus. And Jesus did not make money. Mm. He was not concerned with making money. Um, He was concerned with greed in our hearts for money. Also, Peter was married. Um, We see that in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14. It talks about, you mentioned Paul's, or sorry, Paul, Peter's mother-in-law. So it's like, here's, if the the man's main job is to worry about the finances and be the financial provider of the family, then how is Jesus okay with this guy following him around for Hmm. two, three years? When he's married, he's supposed to be working. Well, devil's advocate, he was doing missions work. Sure. And his wife was supporting him financially. He, right. I mean, yeah, I don't think he was making any money. There's even the verse where he sends them out and it says, you paid no coin for my teaching, so receive no coin to mm. teach them. There doesn't seem to be any indication that they're making money, like um. passing the basket around and he's making his missional income. Mm. So if the biblical precedent is, hey, women, or sorry, men are the provider, they bring in the money. Jesus had no problem with Peter not doing that. Mm. Um so I guess it's interesting because on our polls with the same amount of people voting, thirty only 30% of people who voted believe that women, um, that the Bible teaches that women should be the primary caregiver of children. So is it a similar answer? Yeah, somewhat. I mean, so you said primary, but I guess I'm going to say this. Should women take care of the kids? Absolutely. Should the... A mother should be a mother. Mm. Should a father be a father? Yes, a father should take care of the kids. Mm. Another way of thinking about it would be, does the responsibility of the children's well-being automatically and always fall on the shoulders of uh, the mother primarily? Similarly, I don't, to the last question, I don't see this clearly mandated in scripture. Mm. Um, There's no, that I can think of or know of, any explicit scripture that says, and the mother shall take care of the kids. Like, that's not a not a thing. I do see the eldership qualifications mm-hmm. in First Timothy uh, chapter 3, um, where it says, Must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. And it's interesting that he talks about managing his household Mm -hmm. and then he feels necessary to specifically say also he is in charge and responsible for the children 
But he also does not, I was thinking about this, doesn't make the comment, also uh, an elder, his wife must be submissive. It's very interesting that that's a total aside. Hmm. I have some things I have to do. I'll be right back. No. (laughs) That's super interesting. Okay, but I think some people would argue with that line. Okay, I'll pull something out of my childhood. I think my parents parented more towards... Uh, I would say they had a very moderate stance in parenting. I think it was um, healthy. If we're talking in terms of um, complementarianness versus egalitarian. But there were certain times when I got in trouble and my mom would be like, you're going to call your dad and talk to him on the phone. So, like, I think there are people who are like, oh, that really just means that, you know, if your kids are acting bad, you have to put them back in line, whereas everything else your wife does the rest of the time. I think it can be that way. It can. I don't I don't think, I don't know if that's the best way. Well, and I guess here's here's another question. Does the Bible leave room for these, what we would see traditional roles as the mother staying home, taking care of the children, the father uh, making money? Does the Bible leave room for those roles to be reversed? Can Can a mother work and make the money, the primary income work a nine to five or whatever it may be and can the father stay home and be the primary caretaker of the house and can that be healthy this would this is probably the most one of the most difficult questions to me that i have probably changed the most Mm -hmm. over time um kind of gone back and forth so i kind of think of the uh, hypothetical situation the mom is a surgeon who makes a lot of money. I know a couple of those. Yes. And the father does something else that mm-hmm. makes nowhere a fraction of the amount of money, which doesn't make his job less any less value necessary, I'm just saying. Her financial income significantly more mm-hmm. than the husband's. To me it would make more sense if the if the husband's job is to think of the the financial situation of the household, would it not make more sense to say will be in a better financial situation if the mother goes back to work, if that's her desire, and I stay home and take Mm. care of the kids. You'd be putting your family in a more secure financial future. I don't see in scripture, this is another place where I don't think it's totally unreasonable to read all of scripture and come to the conclusion that, oh, the husband should be concerned with money, the mother needs to stay home. I mean, there is some biological, right? Like a woman can produce milk for the baby. What? Yes. Surprise. (laughs) Uh, Sort of irrelevant nowadays because we have formula that you can go, anyone can go buy formula off a shelf and the baby will survive and thrive and do great. Maybe some people disagree. Yeah. (laughs) Our chunky boy. Um, But there is like, I just say, I don't think someone who would say that would like, they're totally just like rude and wrong and outdated or something. I don't think it's wrong to do that. There's nothing wrong for the mother to stay home and the father go back to work. I don't see that scripture again. There's no like, and the mother shall take care of the Mm -hmm. kids and the father shall go attend to business. Proverbs woman seems to have a family that she's (laughs) taking care of and has gone back to work, Mm -hmm. um, if you will. So to me, yes, it's an -hmm. an open-handed, like either, either case. I think the more indirect answer would be what... The husband and the wife, or the father and the mother, 
have hopefully beforehand talked about and come to a conclusion together of what is best for the family. Yeah. And I mean, for you and I, when we were, I think even before premarital, I think when we were dating, I said, well, I had prayed before you and I even started dating. I prayed, God, please don't make me marry someone who's in ministry because I want someone who makes money. Um, First of all. Second of all, God, please let me marry someone who is okay with me staying home. But also, let me do what I want. That sounds weird. Um, I think the Bible, I think Jesus speaks to husbands and wives coexisting in this, in a lot of give and take most Mm -hmm. of the time. In this, hey, if your wife is super smart and has a good job because of that, and you can be a capable parent to your children, then your wife should go work and you should stay home with the kids. Vice versa, if your wife wants you to make money for her so she can, I don't know, say, spend it all on theology bills. <laughs> this sounds familiar. I just, Then do that. Do that. Or to put it in a biblical way, men are given the commandment, if you will, to love our wives. If loving your wife best means letting her go back to work to use this the gift that the Lord has given her and for you to stay home mm. for a temporary period of time or an indefinite period of time, then I think if that's the most loving thing you can do for your wife, that's what you should do, in my opinion. And we'll take a short break for sex. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, following that, or this idea of, you know, complementarianism and egalitarianists. Um, does the Bible dictate who should have the last word, who makes the final choices in a marriage? Traditionalists would, I think, generally say men. This is if this is probably the second most difficult mm-hmm. <laughs> question for me that I kind of go back and forth. Um, because my upbringing was very, very egalitarian. My parents would always default to pretty much whoever responded first. And by that I mean like hypothetical situation that probably happened for all of us. We want to see a PG-13 movie <laughs> and we're like, and we're nine, or, nine years old or whatever. Uh, if I ask my dad, he won't think about it. He'll just say yes. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you ask your mom, she goes, no. Yeah. Or at least, well, what's a PG-13 for? Um, and you're like, snooze, snooze. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, in in my parents' situation, if I had asked my mom and she said no, and I don't actually remember specifically what it was, but I do have this memory of me asking my mom, her saying no for whatever Mm -hmm. it was, and then me being like, I should have asked my dad. He'll say, I'll go ask dad. He'll say yes. And asking my dad and him going, yeah, sure, whatever. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as my dad found out that my mom had said no, he revoked his yes because he wanted to honor my mother. Mm. My mom had said no. So he was saying, okay, she already gave you a no, so my answer is actually no. Mm. Um, and they would, in that sense, defer to each other. So I, that, that's my default, uh, what I come to. What I find biblically is that ultimately, yes, I would say, that there is this sense of um, stewardship that the husband, because there's that image of, right, Jesus is the head of a husband and the husband is head of the wife. What it's always attached to, which I'm really glad it is, is that, right, the husband has this 
if you will, authority and position, but that also comes with laying your life down for your wife and living in a way that is most loving for your wife. Mm. Um, and so, although I would say technically, yes, I see biblically that the husband has the last word or has the final say, whatever you want to say, it's also unbiblical and unwise for the husband to just uh, be a dictator or chop off the tater and, and be <laughs> what the heck i'm trying to say be a dick um i th- immediately thought of potatoes <laughs> when you said that uh, <laughs> throw those tater tots um to just say no you can't do that yes you can do that no 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 what me 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 Mm. Because um, to be selfish is not Jesus-like or biblical. The image is that the husband is laying his life down. And do you think in this structure that Jesus, husband, wife, yes, husbands is I want to make very clear mm. for this podcast, yes, that men are not over women, but it's only in the biblical marriage, yeah, construct that we see husbands, um. That wives submit to their husbands. Yeah, there's nowhere in scripture that says uh, women submit to men. That's that's not a thing. Um, it's a wife submits to her husband specifically. So that specifically, do you think that is the Bible being pro-patriarchy? I'm not sure. I, I see it more as their peers. Mm. And it's just that the husband has the respons- the ultimate responsibility. It Of like, you know, it'd be like if you were a CEO and you had two VPs and it's like, okay, well, you're ultimately VP number one. You're ultimately responsible if things get screwed up, mm. but you're both responsible and you both have authority and you both have mm. uh, giftings and leadership and all that. So to me, it's not, it's not about even that the wife is lower or lesser or something. Do you think God would have put in place that mandate had the fall not taken place? Because it's interesting to me that pre-fall we see God in the Bible, the the language that is used for helper, right? We talked about this in the yeah. um, podcast with Matt. My mind got blown that whole episode. You'll notice I asked like <laughs> one question the whole time. It's basically just jaw dropped. That um, the word used for a helper is the same word that Israel uses when they call on God. So it's obviously not this like you need an assistant. Yeah. It's this assistant to the regional manager. You need yoga. someone Matt said it really well. I can't remember what it is, but you need to call on someone mm-hmm. who can support you. And then we we don't it's we don't see anything after that until the fall. We don't see this this husbands over your wives until post fall and i and i wonder did god not have enough time to get to the rest of his script before adam and eve screwed up like what was god's original plan i don't think you have an answer because i don't think a lot of people have an answer man my god but it's just interesting was god's original plan that there would there would be co-reigning and co-authorship and co everything and that there wouldn't be this God, husband, wife, but that it would be God and then equally down to husband and wife. Yeah, that's what I see. And even in, I even see that indirectly affirmed throughout scripture. Um, and in some places even directly, I'd say 
So even going back to the eldership thing I brought up, where it said, manages his household well. Well, Proverbs 31 says that this woman, that she's watching over the affairs of her household. Mm. Again, it's like the two VPs thing. Like, they're both in this, like, watching and managing and... Yeah, now that you say that, it does make it more interesting that when he's like, hey, men can only be elders, okay, sure, but also he's like, make sure your kids are in line, doesn't say anything about the wife. So yes, if it's not clear to me, I would say husband has the ultimate responsibility. Mm -hmm. Both of them have responsibility. If I, as a husband, am not valuing and um, seeking your help, for in anything and everything I do, then I'm really not like I don't think our marriage would be as strong mm. as it could be. You mm. know, yeah. Um, I I've thought of the image of imagine I'm working, my car broke down, mm-hmm. and I fix my car, and I have this book that is the most perfectly intuitive um, answer to all the problems of my car, specific year, model, every single thing that could go wrong, step by step instructions. With pictures and everything and I'm like well you know what I'm a man I can I can solve this I can fix this bomb I can figure it out I would be I'd be foolish mm-hmm. I have the book that tells me what that has expertise it tells me what to do and if the same in the same way if I'm married and you have expertise over something I don't have ex- know that much about I'm a fool to say no 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 I can do this because you have expertise mm-hmm. I should be deferring to you Perhaps the final say is with me, but really the call is coming from you. Mm. And so that's how I see. Mm. Okay, so it's something I hear a lot. And I guess I want to pause and say, say, sometimes the way I talk, it seems like you are a flaming liberal. <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that because that's negative to both sides. I am extremely moderate in all senses of the word. Any, any part of the bible or of christianity that you can fall on either side of the camp i usually fall in the middle so i just want to throw that out there i do believe eldership is held for men um and only men i wish women could do it i can't biblically get there which is contrary to your belief might i say but i so i want to leave with that i have heard um a complementarianist argument for why women can't um, be, let's say, lead pastors of a church. One of the arguments I've heard is that women are too emotional compared to men. Mm. Women are too emotional to lead well. Does the Bible give us this idea or, I mean, explicitly even say women are more emotional than men, therefore they shouldn't be put in offices of overseeing or leadership. An argument I've used myself long ago for me being uncertain about a woman being president. This is me like being like, I don't know, 14 or 15 <laughs> or 16 or something like that. And to me, it's kind of hot garbage of an argument. Um, so my short answer is no. I, I don't think women are more emotional than men. I am going to throw my own quote in here. 
Yes, women are more emotional than men, unless you remember that lust and anger are also emotions. Actually, that goes right into what my kind of main point is, or one of my first points, I should say. Um, I think of David, who sees this woman um, and then is so controlled by his lust and his desire for this person that she has her brought to his chambers and from what we can tell rapes her and then out of guilt and anxiety he has her husband murdered Mm. Um, or king solomon who's called the wisest man and yet clearly is um, a combination of lust and uh, being power hungry he has was it 300 wives oh my god 500 concubines over that amount so he's clearly being controlled by his own emotions Um, he's not in total control i should say um or of the pharisees with jesus who are just constantly angry at him and trying to have this like pride issue that they're constantly trying to trap him and prove him wrong so that they can be right and you just see all these men like acting out of guilt and covering up things and Mm. lying and um being totally controlled by their anger and that is a hundred percent men being emotional I think where this comes from is that in the West, men are often considered non-emotional or less emotional because they can, like, quote-unquote, control their emotions. But really what most of the time that looks like is just bottling it up and expressing it in unhealthy ways and passive-aggressive ways. And more often than that, I would say, well, let me put it this way. If your thought life is uncontrollably plagued by an emotion, um, you actually don't have control of your emotions. Mm. Just because an emotion doesn't uh, directly cause an action, if it is directly, like, controlling your thought life, you also are emotional. Mm. Like, you're... And and emotions aren't bad, just to be clear. Um, Emotions are, I would say, actually a gift. Um, We see Jesus being correctly emotional um, and weeping and being very frustrated. And so, if anything, I tend to see in the Bible... Uh, the women in the Bible tend to respond in an emotionally healthy and in a, and they actually respond correctly to their emotions. Um, I think of the woman at the well who Jesus totally calls her out on her life of continued cyclical sin mm. of marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce. She's sleeping or she's living with her boyfriend and her response is that she goes oh wow she doesn't shut down or like operate out of guilt she goes oh you're like you're a prophet Mm. and then jesus you know oh you're the messiah and she goes and immediately tells people about jesus Mm. that's her response i think of one of my favorite from the old testament abimelech is uh he's gonna go burn down the, the city and he gets all these bundles of wood and has all his men get these bundles of wood and everyone, all the men and the women cower in this tower and they're just hiding from this guy because he's overtaking the city and oh no, uh, and they're just cowering in the corner. Which would it'd be a scary situation. I'm mm. not like totally, but who kills the king? This Who kills the antagonist? A woman. She picks up a millstone. Like which, you do. Yeah, like what the heck? <laughs> Those are, yeah. And throws it down and crushes the guy's head. Like this woman isn't operating out of fear but goes here's the situation 
how can we overcome our enemy? And she operates out of courage and like trust, I would say, really, that mm. she could trust with God that she could get through the situation. Um, or think of all the apostles. Jesus is like, hey, by the way, a third day I'm going to rise. And it's third day, and they're just like, <laughs> like in there, I don't want to be seen. I don't want people to associate with us with him. And uh, Martha and Mary are like, well, let's go check out the tomb. And they have this, like, I would say faith. And then they see Jesus gone. And they immediately book it back and are like, Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Or the woman with the alabaster jar who's like, I'm going. She's so overcome by the emotion of who Jesus is mm. that she she just, like, freely, she lets it go. She's like, I don't care how much this is worth because you're worth more, Jesus. And I'm going to show that to you. Mm. Um, and what are the men's response? The men's disciples, they're like, probably seems like a little envious one of them's greedy of the money they could have made with it so i I like continually see in the bible that women they're the ones who yes have emotions just like guys do but if anything they have a more level head of letting them not covering up or bottling up Mm. the emotion but correctly letting the emotion bring them to a response Mm. which is what i as i said before what i see in jesus Jesus felt the full range of emotions. It wasn't, he wasn't manly because he didn't have emotions. If anything, he was, I guess, manly because he was emotionally healthy Mm. and he felt the emotions and responded in a correct way. Mm. So a few months ago, Desiring God put out an article about how men being effeminate is a, is a sin. And I was shocked um, and I did some reading, and of course, Desiring God, like, I, I think they do a good job of quoting scripture and, and wanting to be true to the authority of God. They're Calvinists. They quoted, and they used the KGV, King James Version of the Bible, of 1 Corinthians 6 9, which would use, choose the word effeminate. When it says, you know, don't uh, don't be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterer, adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves and mankind. When it's talking about the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. I thought that was interesting just because I, I believe it's the KGV and then also the NASB are the only two translations that choose to use the word effeminate. Now, if we look in the NIV, the ESV... Um, a handful of other English translations, they use the word homosexuality. I would not have a problem with the article if it was talking about homosexuality. However, Desiring God seems to key in on men with effeminate qualities, like men who liked to wear pink, men who talked with lisps, men who were more delicate, men who like quote-unquote stereotypical more girls, um, you know, like let's say dance and theater and things like that. I thought that was a wildly inappropriate translation of what the Bible actually means. So is it a sin to be effeminate in the way that we understand it in today's Western culture? Wait, it's interesting that King James Version... Since that's English, that's not the English we speak from, when was that first turn? 1500s? Oh, uh, yeah. It's either 15 or 16. So, four to 500 years ago, so it's very different 
meanings of words, but there's a lot of unpacking for this. And this question starts to kind of border the um, non-cisgender and all that, mm-hmm. um, which is not our purpose for today. So there's a few things. Uh, I have probably three prayers that are very consistent in my life that I pray almost daily, not out of some sort of weird, like, not that all rituals are weird or wrong, but just because it's something that for me in my heart is like, every time it's true for me. Mm. Um, And so two of those. One is just a simple, like, Lord, help me be the man you created me to be or you want me to be, which that's, again, it's something magical. Like, not like, I've been waiting for that one, the... 10,000th time you pray that. But just because it's an honest, like, cry of my heart. Mm. It's just, Lord, I want to be not the me that I think would be perfect to be, but actually the man you want me to be Mm. and have for me to be. And the second would be, what am I looking for in this that I think I can't find in Jesus? Which is an unfortunately common prayer in my life. Just getting enamored by things, um, getting tunnel visioned, thinking, oh, if I just... I just had that thing or if I just got that house or that job or that Mm. promotion or that um, got to go on that trip or got to do that thing or got to be with meet that person or whatever it's like if if that then oh then it's gonna be great but it's all false it's like Mm. none of those things are gonna actually fully satisfy me but I am so prone like I would say pretty much everyone (laughs) prone to these things that Without even thinking about it, we're subconsciously going, oh, I'm going to be so happy when I get this Mm. thing. And so, like, we're talking about is being uh, feminine as a man a sin, essentially, is the question. So culturally, I would say, and it varies what this looks like for each culture, but we, we have these things that are sort of established as these are men things, these are women things. Mm. A lot of times they're dumb. It's like, Ah, blue is the male color. Pink is the female color. Like, that has no bearing on anything. Mm. It's just someone decided, probably someone in, like, marketing decided this at some point in time, and then it just became so popular that it was a thing. So often we push back by saying, oh, you know, boys don't do that, or girls don't do that. Um, Sometimes for good reasons, sometimes for bad reasons. But when when I see an individual pushing back on like a cultural or culturally established norm i kind of i have to ask myself and if relevant the person like is this simply because of the thing like you know is it a girl that likes dirt bikes well dirt bikes is usually like a guy thing well is it is it just that you like dirt bikes like there's nothing in the bible that says women can't like dirt bikes Mm -hmm. or dirt or is it because that individual say this hypothetical woman that likes to ride dirt bikes is it you're attracted to that because it's culturally a male thing and you feel attracted to being how our culture interprets masculine Mm. in other words is it the thing that you are attracted to or is it what you identify in your heart as you wanting to be that thing Mm. or that you think that thing will fully satisfy you because of that um and so it's really it's really about the person's, their heart and their motivation as Christians and even as non-Christians. We, we sometimes come to the conclusion ourselves. oh, she wants to ride dirt bikes because she feels this. 
that's what I believe, so you can't do that. Mm. Or on the other spectrum, it's like, well, I'm just not even going to question it. I'm not going to discern this at all. I'm just going to let them do them. So when we ask, is this in for a man to do something that is, say, feminine? Mm-hmm. Um, well, how are we defining something as feminine? Is it that it's biblically something that the, was mandated as female and now this man is wanting to do that? Um, or is it just a cultural norm that we've decided is feminine yeah. because we decided that? And be very careful about not misidentifying mm. those things. Similar to, just as I said at the start of this, that uh, we have different upbringings and a lot of times we muddle up that, like, what is biblical and what is just our experience. I believe sometimes we do that with this, mm-hmm. as we declare that this is feminine and that it's biblically feminine. Mm. So if a man does this, then they are no longer acting out in a biblical manly way, and that's wrong of them. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, Brad Harper, who is one of my professors, um, was, was speaking primarily about a book that he wrote with the son, but he's talking about, well, I might as well call them up. So focus on the family would give advice to parents who had kids. Hey, my son's painting his nails. Well, you need to tell your son to stop painting their nails because that's gay. Yeah. I I think when we make statements like that, especially towards when we make statements on the outside, when we say things out loud, we can lead people to question things that were never there, especially young people. Yeah. As I said, it's, it's very difficult because you don't want to not use discernment or you don't want to just let everything slide as it it's nothing. It's just a pressing back against culture. But you also don't want to be jumping to conclusions. Mm-hmm. And I also want to say, like, I don't think there's anything that you can do that's, like, gay. Unless you're having, like, sex yes. with the same sex yeah, person. Right. Like, for you to call something gay is completely irrelevant and inappropriate. A situation is not a sexual orientation? <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of things uh, for me. I don't think of myself as, you know, culturally super effeminate. But there are things that I, that bring me great joy that might, people might say that. Like, I used to uh, drive around delivering pizzas and listening to opera because I I liked opera. Mm. I do like opera. I think it's great. I, I love sitting down and listening to music and like the idea of, just listening to worship music and like painting watercolor sounds amazing to me that sounds like expressing myself in that way it's awesome i in middle school i in high school i loved poetry i wrote a lot of poetry meanwhile i'm over here the entirety of my life like looking and figuring out how can i own as many motorcycles and trucks as possible by the time i'm 30 (laughs) So I guess that brings us to another good question, especially now, this 2019 with where fashion is. Can we wear whatever we want? Can you wear a dress? Can you wear makeup? Do clothes have to belong to a specific gender? Yes, but also no. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a follower of Jesus, um, so kind of the one of the meta narratives of scripture is god constantly calling out his people 
and making them like Israel and making them distinct and separate from other people mm. and being like, these are my chosen people. And you see all these weird, um, to us in 2000 something in this Pacific Northwest in America, we see some of these like, what the heck? They're not allowed to marry someone from the other. That seems racist. Mm. Or they're, they're not supposed to mix different types of, uh, like wool and linen, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And they're not supposed to eat these things and do these things. And we're like, that seems crazy religious. And it does because I think we're not, we're not in that time period. We're not living and seeing that God is making his people in even the smallest ways, distinct and separate. These are my people. And we see that even, I would say through the new Testament of like Jesus coming, um, and coming as a uh, Jewish man, uh, primarily making followers who are Jewish mm. and um, ethnically speaking. And so I think as Christians, um, we kind of need to ask ourselves, if we're talking about wearing a certain item, like, why do we want to wear this certain item? What do we, is it just purely because we think this article of clothing is cool? Or is it because if I want to wear a dress, is it because I'm in my heart I'm identifying as otherwise effeminate i should say um and that's my motive and either way what what does culture see in this mm. um i think it's sometimes it's easy to be like well only what god thinks about me matters um well that's not entirely true because even in once like, for like the third time going back to the elder quali uh, qualifications talks about like it's good in the eyes of the outsider mm. um, and there is this reality that how people see you is how people will see the church is mm. how people will see God. And that's mostly relevant to this conversation. Of yeah. like, if you're rude and selfish, people can go, oh, people who follow Jesus are rude and selfish. So uh, a situation in my own life, I love beanies. Historically, as an adult, between like first brisk day of fall until first... Well, like a month into sunny spring even, I'll be wearing a beanie or toque for the the Canadians out there. Mm. And I would wear it all the time because I don't have an issue with that. And people my age don't have an issue with that. I would wear it when I played drums um, on a Sunday or Wednesday night or whatever. I would wear a beanie because I'm a skinny man that is constantly cold and I like to be warm. But I came to the realization and the Lord convicted me that there are people, for example, when I wear a beanie playing at church on a Sunday that there are people of an older generation that are in the church that when they see me wearing a beanie because of their upbringing, their culture, that is disrespectful to wear a hat when you're worshiping. Mm. Um, and they are going to be, if nothing else, they're going to be interpreting like dishonorable for a man to mm. cover his head. Whether they're in the right or I'm in the right, it's irrelevant because I shouldn't be causing my brother to stumble. And so if it is an issue, if it's not an issue for me, an issue for not an issue for my for some of my peers but it is an issue for other of my peers it is loving for me to abstain for their for their sake so maybe a better question is not can i wear whatever i want but should i wear whatever i want mm. for i mean our last question for the six lonely voters this what? is this sorry this makes me sound like i'm trying to shame you i'm not if you voted this way welcome to the conversation the six of you. There are six of you who voted. They do believe the Bible teaches only men should strive to be physically strong. Well, going back to Proverbs 31. 
verse 25 says that uh, she's clothed in strength and dignity. Um, now, does that mean physically strong? I don't know. It probably means um, spiritually strong, emotionally strong. Emotionally strong, yeah. Yeah. But in verse 17, it says, She sets to her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. That um, must be a metaphor. It can't possibly mean she has biceps. Well, we all have biceps, actually. Right. Yes, women can be strong. This image of a... But can they strive? Should they strive to be physically strong? Almost an irrelevant question because even Paul talks about, for men, that he says, First Timothy chapter 4. Uh, so he's literally talking to Timothy. Um, and he says in verse 7, uh, Have nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths. Rather, train yourself for, for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Mm. I, th- I think this is really more of an issue of um, our culture, not only our culture, but for the culture that we are in, um, that women tend to be um, over-sexualized. They tend to be portrayed as, I mean, think of pretty much over half of the stories you remember as a kid. Some woman in need, trapped, mm-hmm. and some strong man comes and saves her. It's like this... It's not necessarily anti-biblical, but it's not biblical. Mm. It's just not really a narrative we see. I mean, I think of, like, when I was in Nepal doing missions work there, that there's, like, women that would hold, carry, like, lug around over 100 pounds just on their, like, neck and head. Like, mm. how they... Pretty much everyone carries things in Nepal instead of wearing, like, a backpack. It's, like, a sack on your back that goes around your forehead, mm. and you carry it with your neck and your and your back. And like women just otherwise in developing nations, like women, some women in parts of Africa that carry their babies around all day, every day while they do everything until the child is like three Mm. in certain parts um, because of like they're being black mambas and things on the ground that can literally kill their child. They have to to keep them safe. They have to keep them off the ground until they have some like cognitive ability to be like, oh, that's bad. Women are actually really physically strong. There is no scripture um, that I know of that says that women can't be strong. The only verse I really think of is in First Peter. It says in chapter 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that prayers may not be hindered. And before that, in verse 6, it says, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. I mean, there's many ways to interpret that. Um, I'm just saying, even if you interpret that as women being the weaker physically vessels, even if that's how you interpret the scripture, there's no affirming of, and you need to stay that way. Mm. There are, I do not know of any verses in all of scripture that says, Women must remain, women are dainty and they must remain dainty. Or, uh, men, you are physically strong and you need to become even physically stronger. Once again, Jesus is like the ultimate image and he wasn't a buff bodybuilder. There's no scripture that like, the glory of woman is her weak physical weakness or any of that. So, I mean, can women be physically strong? Yeah. Can women be not physically strong? Yeah. I would say there's no scripture that... Is, it's not unbiblical for a woman to be mm. physically strong. I would put it that way. So coming to an end, is there a good way you can re- reiterate basically everything we went over today? Yeah. If you're a woman, 
you should strive to be the woman that God has you to be. Mm. And if you're a man, you should strive to be the man that God has for you to be. And that you should know Jesus. And by knowing Jesus, you will become more like him. It's really... Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard or want to know more about our podcast, I want to invite you to follow us on Instagram at Can I Say That. That's where you can find what our next topic is going to be, who's speaking, and a lot more about them. We also invite you as an audience member to be a more active part of this conversation by participating in polls, answering questions, and even sending in comments and messages. Fair warning, though, some of them can be kind of frustrating, but please don't let that keep you from engaging, learning, and pressing in. After all, that is what the show is about, asking Christians hard questions. So please come and join us.